Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Been There, Done That podcast, episode number 26. And that makes this your Saquon Barkley episode. 26 is a little lighter on the numbers. Happy Saquon Barkley episode number 26. I'm your host and I go by Ben. All right. Here is what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Okay. As always, I want to talk about something going on over the weekend. Uh, Some fun stuff that um, I may have been sitting in in one chair the whole weekend, but it was still a good time. Uh, I want to recap the Chiefs and Dolphins and talk about some of the stuff, you know, that happened during the game and what it means, why it's important. And then I want to talk a bit of college football. I I want to recap the Missouri versus Georgia game. uh, And then... I also do want to talk again briefly about the college football playoff rankings, where we're at, uh, and some hopes I have, some things I'm hoping to see uh, here in the next couple of weeks, or I guess by the time the playoffs roll around. Um, college basketball is also back. A couple of nights ago, we kicked off the college basketball season, which for some people is their favorite of the basketball leagues, and understandably so. Um, but... College basketball is back, and so I want to give a little bit, just a quick little prediction on some what I think, you know, how the season's going to go. And then I do also want to give a little NBA update on some interesting things going on around the association. And then, as always, I will wrap it up with an office quote of the week, okay? So without further ado, what do you say we jump right in, All right? Um, it is November 8th. We're a week and a half. No, not even. We're a little a week, a little over a week into no shower November. It's going pretty well so far. Uh, people are starting to notice, but um, I'll keep you updated on how that's going. Uh, I'm totally joking, by the way. Some of you may maybe believe me. I don't know. I promise I've showered. I just thought I'd throw that in there because it could be funny. I, I've brought it up to people in the past and thought, "Hey guys, you want to? You want? Should we try this? Should we do that? Should we do no shower November? See what happens." And for some reason, nobody uh, nobody ever wanted to try it with me. So I'm not actually doing that. Just thought I'd have a little fun to get us going. But what really happened this weekend, uh, if you are at all familiar uh, or keep up at all in the video game community, you know that Fortnite brought back the OG map this past weekend on Friday. And I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun, all right? It uh, it's interesting because if you're not familiar at all with Fortnite or video games or anything, Fortnite obviously is a very popular game that has been around since 2017 is when it starts or started, and obviously when it first kind of started blowing up in late 2017, early 2018, uh, the 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 map that we played back then is what came back this past week. And which is significant because we haven't actually seen this map since, like, I guess August of twenty no October of twenty nineteen was the last time we we saw this map in particular. Uh, and I remember very specifically it was the day the Chiefs lost to the Texans uh, in in week four of no sorry in week six I believe twenty nineteen the year they won the Super Bowl, uh, which is you know I don't I shouldn't remember that but I do. But that's not why I'm here. Uh, anyway, 
every couple of years, every year, every every year and a half or so, Fortnite will release an, a new map with a new chapter. And so we hadn't seen this map for a couple of years. And it, it was cool because this is the map we, you know, we kind of, what caused a lot of us to really fall in love with playing Fortnite. I don't even know if falling in love is the right term, but got a lot of us addicted to Fortnite when it, when it, the, the hype of it, of the game first started and everyone was playing. This is the map that we were playing. And so we hadn't seen it in a couple of years and Epic Games did a really cool thing. They brought back this OG map as they take about a month or so here. Uh, they're going to have the, the old map out uh, before they get prepared to bring up a new chapter starting in, de- in December, you know, for all the, all the Christmas stuff they're going to bring into the game. But I love that they're doing this. I'm having a lot of fun and it's brought back a, a lot of other, you know, streamers and, and video game, like YouTubers and guys that haven't played Fortnite in years, but they came back to, to play the OG map. So it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to play with some students. I'm really enjoying it. Um, bringing me back, giving me some nostalgia, you know, kind of what it's all about. So that was fun. That was fun. Uh, and then obviously a lot of good football on this weekend, like a bunch of really good games and college football on Saturday. Um, and of course, Missouri playing Georgia, which was a better game than I was honestly anticipating. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit. First, I do want to talk about the chiefs and dolphins game. Okay. So chiefs come out on top 21 to 14, Obviously, the Chiefs have the the great first half, the, the beautiful opening drive, you know, uh, and then they stall out for a couple drives and they score again. And then the play, you know, the one I'm talking about, the one that Trent McDuffie forces the fumble, recovered by Justin Reed. He take he's about to get tackled. He he kind of dumps it off to Brian Cook, who turns into Usain Bolt down the sideline. Like I I don't know if it was just the way I perceived the play or what, but I feel like I've never seen anyone run as fast as Brian Cook ran down the sideline, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill is on the other side, and we've seen that as Chiefs fans. We've seen Tyreek Hill run players down the full length of the field. Remember that Damian Williams touchdown against the Vikings a couple years back where he it was like a 90-yard run, and, and Tyreek Hill chased him down the whole length of the field. So we've seen him literally do that uh, uh, with guys that are on his team. But I tell you what, Brian Cook, man, he he took off once he got the ball, and he was gone. So I, I, that was exciting. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, I don't get too high or low on regular season games. Um, and of course, this is exciting, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you really why, but when I watched this play, I just started laughing. I was just cracking up. I, I don't know what it was. I think it was a, a culmination of all the different things that had been going on about you know, all the talk about how the Dolphins were going to beat the Chiefs, how Tyreek was going to do his thing. He was going to, quote unquote, give us that work, whatever. And then just seeing it all kind of crumble on this play where Chiefs are now up 21 to nothing going into half. Uh, and it just something about it was hilarious to me. And so I was just in my room by myself watching this game. Just at that point, it's probably what, 930, 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm just cracking up, having a grand old time. Um, and so obviously, you know, as the game went on, the, the Chiefs stalled on in the second half. They only had, I believe it was 46 yards of offense in the second half, which is a bit concerning for sure, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple minutes. But I think the, the place we really need to start with in this game is, of course, Tyreek Hill. Um, some of the things he was saying before the game throughout the week, um, 
Number one, he, he said, and I quote, the Chiefs would get this work wherever. Right? Didn't matter if it was at Arrowhead. Didn't matter if it was in Miami. Didn't matter if it was in Germany. The Chiefs were going to get that work. Right? He said he was feeling somewhere in the ballpark of 12 receptions for 250 yards. Um, and he also said, quote, I got to make sure I score against the Chiefs. I won't be able to sleep for weeks coming on, coming on if I don't score. End quote. Well, poor guy must still be awake because uh, he didn't do any of that. 12 for 250. Uh, how about eight catches for 62 yards? <laughs> uh, really didn't even sniff the end zone. He was quite honestly a non-factor. You know, sure, he may have been a decoy here and there, but in all honesty, he got locked up. He did a whole lot of talking, and that's all he did. A whole lot of talking just to get locked up by the second round corner who the Chiefs used to trade or used him to trade for, right? Uh, this is just, this game was just continued evidence that the Dolphins are frauds. There's no way around it. They're 6-0 and versus bottom feeders, uh, and they're 0-3 against playoff teams. You don't have to look too far into the stats to to explain that, right? They are I, I, they're the the shiny new toy that breaks, you know, when you drop it one time. They are they're the iPhone without an iPhone case. I I, I don't know, like you get what I'm saying. They are they're fun to look at. They are exciting against when things are easy when they're playing against lower competition, but. You know, they face a little bit of adversity. They face a good defense. And what happens? Nothing. They score 14 points. And and really, honestly, one of those touchdowns was kind of gifted to them by, by the Chiefs. Uh, so, you know, all that, all that being said, the Chiefs have clearly won the trade for Tyreek, which is kind of crazy to think about looking back at when they made the trade back in, in March of, of 2022. You know, when the trade was made, lots of people in... In Chiefs Kingdom were freaking out. People were mad. Uh, how, how can you trade Tyreek? He's the fastest player in the league, arguably the the biggest offensive weapon in the league. You know, uh, how can we do this, right? And the, the fact that they won the Super Bowl last year after making the trade is enough in itself. But this is more just icing on the cake in that of when you look at what the Chiefs traded for Tyreek Hill or traded, you know, to get using Tyreek Hill. They they got the pick which they used to draft Trent McDuffie, which is turning out to be one of the best best trades in favor of the Chiefs. I mean, you can make an argument. I mean, honestly, both teams won the trade. I mean, Tyreek is doing incredible things in Miami. He's on track to set the receiving record. So that's awesome for him. That's so fun for the Dolphins, you know. Not that it's going to matter in January. Um, but he'll get to add that to his add that feather to his cap when you know during his uh, Hall of Fame induction sometime down the road. But as far as winning this year, it doesn't really matter all that much, you know. So again, both teams have benefit benefit of the trade. Don't get me wrong. But the Chiefs used one of the the picks they got from the Dolphins in this trade to draft Trent McDuffie, who in all honesty, is looking like a top five corner in the NFL. Like, you could make a legitimate argument he's been the best corner in the NFL this season, right? I, I'm i sure I'm somewhat biased, but 
if it, and the tough thing about corners is, is there's not really like stats you can look at to be it, it's not like oh he's got the most passing yards he's got the highest completion percentage um but on one hand he's shutting guys down like guys are not getting open against him he's covering people he's sticking to him like glue but he's also the chief's leading tackler or at least last i heard as of last week i didn't check again after the most recent game but the fact that at near halfway point of the season you have a corner as your leading tackler and, and multiple forced fumbles throughout the season and you know he is without a doubt playing like one of the top five corners in the nfl right now um and and really one of the biggest reasons alongside of chris jones that this defense has gone from like league average over the last couple of years to at worst a top three defense and you can make a, a serious argument that they're the best defense in the league right now you know they have not allowed more the, the there's one game they allowed more than 21 points and that was the game where they turned it over five times and they were put in terrible position by their offense um they're second in the league in scoring defense right now um they have multiple times this season on several occasions they've held quarterbacks under 200 yards passing uh, and the one that really sticks out to me is, is the fact that they held Tyreek Hill f- f- to eight catches for 62 yards and Justin Jefferson to three catches for 28 yards. And I know he got hurt, but that was still through, you know, halfway through the third quarter. That's well into the game, right? So he's at that pace. He keeps playing. He gets maybe 50 yards, you know? So they're, they're shutting down. Like, th- those are the two best receivers in the NFL that they held f- to combined less than 100 yards. I mean that that is his, that's kind of historically good defensive effort that the, that the Chiefs are putting out right now, um, and so I mean th- as a Chiefs fan, this is so inverse of what we've seen since Mahomes got here, right? The the 2018 team, obviously the 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, and a historically bad defense. Uh, can you imagine if this Chiefs defense put together with? That first year Mahomes when people still didn't know anything about the the best way to try to contain him. I mean, we're talking undefeated, winning every game by three scores. Um, you know, I can dream a little bit. Obviously, that time's passed. People have a little bit of, an, of a better idea on what to do to contain Mahomes. Um, can You know, I say that I say that word carefully because he's still the best quarterback in the league and there's still only so much you can do to, to contain him. Um, but as we've seen the first half of the season the the, the offense is not humming the way that we're used to seeing right um and i and i think you know a big part of not only this game but as we've been talking about the whole first half of the season the chiefs have not really met the eye test and we saw that again this week They, they just didn't the offense especially did not meet the eye test of what we're used to seeing um but you t- again, you take a step back and look at where they're at. They're still the number, th- or Mahomes is still third in the NFL in passing yards, as as bad as they've been on offense. Right, they and they continue to find ways to win. They are still first place in the AFC. Um, they they have head-to-head tiebreakers over two of the other three division leaders, and then they also hold the tiebreaker over Baltimore because Baltimore's two losses are both to AFC opponents individual opponents or one of them was a division opponent so those are again just uh 
tiebreakers that the Chiefs hold over those teams right now. And Baltimore has a tough schedule coming up. The Chiefs have some hard games coming up for sure as well. But um, at the end of the day, the Chiefs still control their own destiny. You know, they're totally in control. Like the, it's their first seed to lose. And when they if they do that again, they're going to be in, in an, a, obviously a great, uh, great position as the one seed to get back to the Super Bowl. OK. Uh, and so even though the offense has struggled, I'm not saying the offense hasn't struggled because it has. Um, but even in the midst of all those struggles, the defense has turned it around to the point they are now a top three unit in the league, maybe, and you know, even first or second, depending on who you ask and what what metrics you look at, right? Uh, and they are, like I said, currently in control of their own destiny on how the rest of the season goes. And of course, I'm the optimist. I'm, I'm I typically like to look at things through my red shades. Of course, I believe the offense is going to pick it up. Because as again, they're they're still in the top half of the league in scoring, and to, like I said, top three in passing offense, which is crazy to think about. Because what's been the issue is their their passing offense, <laughs> like compared to what we've seen in the past. And again, the narrative right now is that the Chiefs can't have a good offense with their current or the way their pass catchers are comprised right now. Um. But here's the thing. The the problems that the, the Chiefs have on offense are very, very fixable. Uh, as offensive coordinator, coordinator Matt Nagy has told us, the, the problems are very fixable. Okay. And this is the thing that really I, I think we forget is that this offense is almost the same as it was last year. I mean, you go through position by position. Obviously, you got the quarterback. The running backs are the same. You still got Kelsey. The, the tight end group is the same. Essentially, uh, I mean, minus Jody Fortson, who had a couple catches here and there. Uh, the receiver room, the only difference, the only change is that Juju's gone and Rasheed Rice took his place. And it, your first thought might be, oh, well, yeah, Juju, they, they gave up a lot for him. Rasheed Rice hasn't quite been what Juju's been. Well, let me tell, let me share something with you. The, the stats of those two players this season. All right. Rasheed Rice through nine games has 32 catches for 378 yards and four touchdowns. Okay. So, uh, you know, he's on pace for around 700 yards, maybe six or seven touchdowns. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster through seven games, he missed a a game or two to injury. Uh, Through seven games, has 21 catches for 140 yards and one touchdown. So he is on pace for maybe 300 yards and a couple you know, a second or third touchdown. Um, by by any statistic, Rasheed Rice has been better than Juju Smith-Schuster this year. And I get part of it is, is Juju's playing with Mac Jones and just a horrific uh, New England offense. And that's part of it. But the point still remains is that Rasheed Rice has been better than Juju this year. And when you look at the offense compared to last year, as as crazy as this might sound, I think you could make the argument the Chiefs are are actually better at pass catcher at the pass catcher like between tight ends and receivers than they were last year. Cuz everyone else is the same besides you drop Juju and you add Rasheed Rice. Who and obviously Mahomes had a good relationship with Juju and he was a good uh he was good at kind of security blanket especially when when Kelsey got doubled which we saw a lot against Miami. But I think he 
he trusts Rasheed Rice kind of the same way. I think that the main thing is Andy Reid doesn't trust rookie receivers and he doesn't want to rely on them all that much, which is a trend we've seen forever for Andy Reid's whole career. But I believe Mahomes trusts him. I really do. Uh, so again, all that to say, the, the, I think the biggest weakness, the biggest area the Chiefs have dropped off is at their tackles. Where last year their tackles were not, I wouldn't put them in like the, they're not in the Eagles category for sure, but they weren't bad. They were kind of, they were slightly above average, I'd say. Where right now the Chiefs tackles, whenever they don't get penalized, are doing pretty well. Like Mahomes is being protected relatively well. You know, not not quite as well as, as I think he has in the last year or two. But... Uh, the the penalties is, is really the big thing between both Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith is that the penalties have really kind of slowed down and really killed some momentum at different points and then the, um you know it, with the offense as in the offense is it just has to be more methodical right now than it has been in years past because you know the whole uh, too high safety thing that the the, the the shell coverage, the the fact the Chiefs don't, uh, or, or teams really focus on taking away the deep ball from the Chiefs uh, more and more. We we see it all the time. And so when you have a penalty and you have a play that go that when you go from second and six and you have a hold and you go to second and sixteen, you know, based on the the defense that teams play against the Chiefs, second and sixteen is so much harder to pick up than it was three years ago. You know, when you have a Tyreek uh, and a three years younger Kelsey. Um, and I think that's a big part of what's going on. It is all it really all it takes in any of these is one penalty from one of the tackles to to back things up, to get the Chiefs out of rhythm. And they're and it really is pulling them out of rhythm quite a bit. And so I think that's where maybe the biggest drop off has happened. What we've seen from the Chiefs is at the tackle position. Um, that being said, I think they're still blocking well. It's a matter of are they going to continue to have these penalties that are going to kind of contribute to stalling the drives, um, and that's what we're going to. In terms of the player production, I think that's the biggest drop off. But the reality is, I think there. It kind of pains me to say there's one really big reason. The only backup. There's one big reason, along with a couple other smaller ones, um, and maybe they're not even small. I'm trying to think about the right way to say it. But the reality is Matt Nagy is minimally involved in play calling, just like I believe Eric Bieniemy was minimally involved. I've heard that quite a bit this week, honestly, is that uh, the Chiefs miss Ant- or Eric Bieniemy, that uh, Patrick Mahomes is was only playing well because of Eric Bieniemy or something along those lines, which I think is kind of goofy. Um, when you look at, I mean, who's the one calling the plays for the Chiefs? It wasn't Eric Bieniemy. It's not Matt Nagy. It's Big Red. All right. I got to be honest. There have just been some head scratchers in the play calling. And I know this is dangerous ground. I know this is kind of taboo when you talk about, you know, questioning Andy Reid because of the success he's had in, in his whole career, literally coming off the Super Bowl, right? Um, but. It's just I feel like we're seeing it over and over again of these these 
moments, these plays where it feels like it's, it shouldn't be that difficult. You know, I think specifically in this last game, the Chiefs are up a touchdown in the fourth quarter. I don't know. It's probably four minutes to go. And you have the third and one on your own 10 yard line. All right. And Pacheco had been running the ball well all game long. You, I, I think you can make the argument the Chiefs interior offensive line is the best in the league. Between Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, I think they have the best interior offensive line in the league up there, if if not the second best, up there with the Eagles. Okay. Isaiah Pacheco, also when you watch him run, is such an angry runner. I mean, how often does he actually get tackled behind the line? It doesn't happen very often. On on in that situation, your offense has been struggling, at least I mean, moving the ball, um, especially through the air, but you've been running the ball pretty well. You have a third and one on your own 10-yard line in a, in a situation where you need to run the clock out, right? If you get a first down there, you you are then in the situation where Miami's going to have to start using timeouts, okay? You pick up the first down, you are in such a good position. And what do they do? Pacheco's not even on the field. How does that make any sense? I That's one of the things I, I, I can't understand, truly. Uh... And the minute he comes out, you know they're not going to... I mean, Jarek McKinnon came in for this play. And when that happens, you know they're not running the ball up the middle with Jarek McKinnon. Like, that's just not his role. He's not going to be your third and one, go get you, go get a yard. That's not that's not Jarek McKinnon's role. And it's not... It shouldn't be, right? But you know what's going to happen. Like, the, the minute Pacheco comes out and McKinnon comes in, it's either a, a screen pass to McKinnon... Or he's coming in to, to pass block, which is which is exactly what happened. It was it was a play action that they tried to get to Kelsey, um, who like every other single play of the game was double teamed, and they they were not able to get in the ball. The, the rhythm was off, the timing was off, and they had to punt the ball away after an incomplete pass. They didn't even force Miami to use a timeout, and it's the plays like that that I got to be honest are really frustrating right now because we know they have the talent. They have the personnel, and they have the experience. But things like that, plays like play calls like that, are the main reason, in my opinion, that the offense is struggling. You have the drops, you have the turnovers, you have the penalties that are hurting. Don't get me wrong, they are hurting. But play calls like that, I, th- in my opinion, are the number one reason. I think I probably put up there with turnovers as why as to why the offense is having the issues that it is. And and I I get it. Andy Reid has a history of doing stuff like this, uh, and it, it worked on that play in the divisional round against Cleveland three years ago, when Chad Henney came in. You know, and there was that little play action, the rollout to give it to Tyreek Hill to pick up a yard, seal the game. Right? It worked. It, it, to me, it feels like it worked that one time in a big moment, and so we're gonna keep trying it. When at the end of the day, the Chiefs defensively are played different now, right? They just are. They Teams do whatever they can to take away the deep ball, to, to, to double Kelsey, um, to double team the playmakers, to, to take them out of the game. And that's why Pacheco is able to run the ball so effectively. And so if it's third and one, you need to pick up a yard, you need the clock to keep running, hand it to Pacheco, pick up a yard. You, you got to, it just has to, at some point, I really hope it clicks. And 
that Andy Reid will make that adjustment. And part of me thinks he's not going to. Um, and it, again, I want to be careful. I don't want it to sound too negative, but I feel like part of it might be a little bit of ego for Andy Reid to say, I, I want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to drop a play that is going to, you know, people are going to look back and be like, wow, look at that smart play call. Look at the way that receiver got wide open. Look at the way I schemed this wide open, which you don't have to do that. You just need to win the game. Just pick up a yard, you know? So again, I've probably been harping on this too long, but it, it's that, that type of stuff is, it's irritating me. If you can't tell, um, so I don't know. So the play play calls like that, and then I think a few other things. Obviously, I talked about the turnovers. Mahomes fumble. It was pretty. It was bad. It was in the Dolphins' territory. And in that situation, you got to understand how well your defense is playing. You got to understand the pressure's coming in on you. You got to just tuck the ball, take the sack, punt it away, let your defense continue to play. Uh, and that's why the the Dolphins found themselves in the the territory to score uh, in that situation. Because the turnovers are just really hurting. Um, I also look at Rasheed Rice. Again, we talked about it before. He's having a solid rookie year. Um, it, it, honestly, even by Andy Reid rookie receiver standards, the he's having a really good year. Uh, and and I think he's building up more and more trust with the homes. The problem for me right now is he hit the last target for Rasheed Rice in the whole game came early on in the second quarter, right? They went the whole second half and a big chunk of the second quarter without ever targeting him again, even after he scored a touchdown on a screenplay. It's another one of those play call things that I could kind of get back into if I really followed my heart here. And it just doesn't quite make sense why Rasheed Rice isn't being targeted more. You know, and, and I understand this is the trend. This is what we've seen from Andy Reid forever. But you also got to understand the circumstances you're in. Your, your last year's second round pick, Sky Moore, is not doing a whole, not giving you a whole lot, right? Travis Kelsey's double teamed, triple teamed. He's got a straight jacket on. Rasheed Rice has been your best playmaker. When when the ball's been in his hands, he's been better than any other player on your team. And I know you don't trust rookies. I, I get it. I know he doesn't want to give rookies the ball, but right now that's what's best for this team. And so I'm going to keep banging the drum. Rasheed Rice needs to have the ball more. And, and I really feel like a lot of Chiefs Kingdom would agree with me on that. Um, and so I'm a little worried. I don't necessarily think that's going to be, you know, as we get to the playoffs, it just wouldn't shock me to see his role stay right where it's at. You know, you can have two, three, four catches a game, but we like Justin Watson. We trust him more. Or we're going to try to force feed Travis Kelsey even when he's double teamed. I don't know. Based on the the history we've seen from Reed, that's what I'm expecting. But I think if we if we make a more concerted effort to get Rasheed Rice the ball, good things are going to happen because that's what we've seen, All right? Um, and I think another another thing when I talk, you know, you talk about the play calling. Um, this is somewhat on, on Reed, but I think this you could also look at Mahomes for this as well. Is that I feel like there have been a lot of situations on third and short, fourth and short, where Again, I've talked about, I think we can just hand the ball off to Pacheco. He's going to put his head down and pick up a yard. However, what the Chiefs keep finding themselves in is the defense knows they want to pass the ball and, and they're playing press man coverage and the receivers have a hard time getting open. And, and really the only option is to take a deep shot to either Justin Watson or MVS. 
And we just see, like, how many times have we seen that on, like, third and two where Mahomes throws it 50 yards to MVS, you know, where they take a shot to the end zone to Justin or whoever. Like, you don't have to score on this play, right? You just got to get the first down. That's all you got to do. And and that one, again, might be slightly on Andy Reid, but I would actually put more of that on Mahomes. Of, um, I think it, to an extent he's feeling a little bit backed up, backed up a little bit, or maybe backed up in a corner, I should say. Of He knows the offense is, is struggling, and he's trying to figure something out. He's trying to hit a couple home runs to to shift the momentum and it hasn't really been working. And I don't think the, the low percentage deep bomb to MVS, you know, when you just need three yards to get a first down is the answer. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. You know, where does that leave us? Uh, it kind of questioning is Andy Reed going to kind of have a look in the mirror moment to say, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than what people think of me. At the end of the day, we want to win the football game. We need to pick up three yards. We need to pick up two yards on third down. Um, are we going to try something fancy, something cute? 2018 Chiefs, 2023 Dolphins style? Or are we going to, you know, are we going to adapt and and realize handing the ball off to our tank of a running back who just runs so angry and put him behind our, you know, brick wall of an interior offensive line, you know? So that's what I think. Uh, and I got to be honest, I, I think it's going to get better. Uh, I, I still expect some of these goofy play calls down the stretch, but I think the big thing we're going to continue to see is the drops are going to start to go away. The penalties hopefully continue to get better and turnovers. I think, in the midst of this whole conversation we're having, you know, if, if the receivers catch the ball and the guys quit turning the ball over, then you're still going to have some of these goofy play calls, but it won't matter because the guys are going to get in the end zone regardless and they're going to move the ball regardless. Uh, and we won't, it won't be as much of an issue wondering about the play calling. So that's what I'm hoping to see and just relying on some guys to catch the passes and some turnovers to, to quit happening, you know, so that's that's kind of where we're at. Um, I think Chiefs are now in a they're in a good spot or a good time for them to take the bye, um, get some things right. You know, get a, get a little bit of rest, get your mind right, come back and, and get ready to to refocus. As you know, you go up against the Eagles, and this is probably the big the biggest test you're going to have all year outside of maybe Cincinnati of most of most important games and a really good litmus test on where are you here in mid-november are you making improvements to to be ready for the postseason because that's what ultimately what's all about anywhere right um so a few other things on this game that i do want to mention as well uh i think number one i've mentioned the defense there, there's no more questions about are they good is it just because they haven't played anyone the Dolphins, by every metric, were the, the best offense in, in football, and it wasn't particularly close. And the Chiefs held them to 14 points, and again, one of those touchdowns was kind of gifted to them. Okay, So, number one, defense, they're elite. That's not a question anymore. That's that's confirmation. Um, one other thing I, I do think going on with the offense that I, 
I think has gone under the radar a little bit is some of the teams that the last two weeks that they played the, both the Broncos and the Dolphins, I think have underrated defenses, right? The Broncos, I know, gave up 70 the first month, but they've also been playing a lot better defensively the last month. Okay, and and, and they saw the, the Chiefs, like I mentioned last week, twice in three weeks. Uh, and then the Dolphins as well are underrated defensively, I believe. Okay, uh, their offense, of course, is what drives them, but they have some very good pass rushers who were able to get some pressure on Mahomes. And then they also got Jalen Ramsey back a couple weeks ago. And they had Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard as their corners, which uh, those two guys, when they're at their best, could also make an argument for being the best corner corner duo in the league. You know? And so, again, I'll have to say, I think the a little bit of credit needs to be given to the Dolphins as well for playing better defense, I think, than we're probably realizing or recognizing for them. You know? Uh, and then the last thing about the Chiefs for now, is I think we can finally go do away with this narrative of the, the referees are the reason the Chiefs are winning. Because uh, in all honesty, the, that game was rough. That game was very rough. Um, the big one, of course, is the late hit out of bounds of Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes was halfway to Munich by the time he got hit out of bounds. And and you had, who was it, Gene Steratore to come on. Like he always does. I've never heard Gene Steratore go against the, the, the calls the officials made, but... Um, I mean, he was clearly out of bounds and got hit late and nothing happened. Um, and there's another, there was another play in the game that I'm blanking on at the moment that was just kind of goofy, uh, and like went against the chiefs and I, man, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm forgetting what it was, but I think this whole narrative that the referees are trying to help the chiefs win. I'm glad that the Chiefs have faced a little bit of adversity from the officiating and they've seen some of these goofy calls that the officials are making against them now um, to say they're now overcoming a couple of these bad calls and still finding a way to win rather than this that narrative that went on for the first couple, month or so that they were being helped out by the refs, which obviously wasn't true um, for anyone that watches. Anyone knows anything about football knows that's not true. Um, but it's good to see that you know some of these the Chiefs are still finding a way to win in, in the midst of when they're the ones now facing some of the weird calls. But speaking of weird officiating, let's move on to the Mizzou Georgia game. Okay. I, you know, I've never been able to say this before, but I think those two teams, Missouri and Georgia looked actually evenly matched. Right. Again, that I didn't think I would ever say that in my lifetime, but here we are. Uh, they were, they were the rowdies. They were evenly matched. Like, if anything, the Missouri looked better up front, both offensive and defensive, on, like on the de- on the line and the, the in the trenches. You know, Mizzou got to Carson Beck quite a bit. They sacked him a handful of times, um, and and Brady Cook was protected pretty well. He was sacked a couple times, but it's it's also Georgia. It's an NFL factory. Like you're going to give up sacks here and there, but they they still. What really stood out to me was the way they ran the ball. You know, I mean. Uh, Cody Schrader in the second half w- was kind of unstoppable. And it's, again, another one of the situations that I. it's a bummer that they didn't go to him more because he was just running all over Georgia's defense. And, and Missouri had the ball down six points with eight minutes to go, and they, they got away from the run. They, you know, I think they panicked a little bit and was like, we have to get the ball and score now, uh, when at the end of the day, they should have just kept running the ball because Georgia couldn't stop it. 
And if there's anything we know about Georgia, it's that they are basically always the more physical, um, athletic team. The stronger physical, they're better uh, than the teams they play all the time. But that wasn't the case this week. Missouri out-physical Georgia for the most part. They ran the ball better. Right? They they won the battle in the trenches. Um, but I think kind of similar to the situation with the Chiefs is that the Georgia is the team that has the playoff experience. Um, you know, the battle-tested team, and they just didn't beat themselves. As weird as it sounds, I, the reality is Missouri beat themselves against Georgia. You know? Again, that situation, you're you're down six with about eight minutes to go, and you throw an interception to the D lineman. You know? As good as Brady Cook has been, like that was a crucial, crucial mistake. Where you gotta just like when you if you're gonna get rid of the ball, you just throw it at your receiver's feet. Or in this situation on the screen, if you're just gonna ground it, you just throw it at your that your running back's feet. Move on to the next play. But he, I, I don't quite know what he was doing, but he just threw the ball and it just landed in the lap of the biggest player on the field for Georgia. And watching him run on the sideline, I mean, I had time to go to the bathroom and come back and he was still running and he had made it 30 yards. Uh, it was painful to watch. But that's who we threw it to. That's who Brady Cook decided to throw the ball to uh, and the guy intercepted. And the crazy thing is the defense kind of held up. Uh, and and I think that's kind of segueing from my referee talk. That It was that drive where things really got weird with the refs in that you had on one play there was a a ball down the field that was very uncatchable that Missouri got called for a play a pass interference. And then a play or two later, or maybe, you know, I don't remember the exact order of the plays, but what the one that really stood out to me was the what was about to be intentional grounding on, on Carson Beck that was going to move Georgia out of field goal range. Uh, but for the first time in my life, because, you know, it is Missouri, that's what happens to Missouri. For the first time, I've ever seen this. They went to the. They went and reviewed the intentional grounding, because and they said because the ball didn't get to the line of scrimmage, it then was not intentional ground. I to be honest, I can't even tell you what happened. I'm still trying to process in my head. Like they had intentional grounding, and then because the ball didn't get to the line of scrimmage, they took intentional grounding off. I I can't give you an explanation. I the, the guys on. Uh, the the announcers couldn't give you an explanation. The main explanation is this is what happens to Missouri. They have weird calls go against them, uh, and and now this is one of those. I, I want to be careful. That, that's not the reason they lost the game. You know, the defense still held up enough that they only allowed a field goal and kept it to nine points, which is like uh, not great, obviously, to to be down nine with six minutes to go against Georgia. But um, they. All that to say, weird, a couple weird calls there at the end really made it difficult for Missouri. Um, but the main thing is they still had a handful of other penalties that were valid penalties that they they did to themselves, you know. And so they were in the game. A couple warranted penalties, a couple unwarranted ones that put it just out of reach for them there at the end. And uh, all in all, if you would have told me the at the beginning of the season – Missouri would be seven and two, and they would, you know, they would be in the game in the fourth quarter on the road at Georgia. I'd be pumped, you know, and I am because they, uh, again, at seven and two, they've got Tennessee this week, which should be a good one. Um, Tennessee also at seven and two, a very evenly matched team. Um, 
you got Josh Heupel also coming in, which should be fun. Um, probably I'm expecting their high scoring game. And, you know, if Missouri wins this one, they finish the season with Florida and Arkansas, two very winnable games. Uh, and so if they can take care of business, these last three, they find themselves at 10 and two, uh, a 10 and two SEC team is almost a guarantee to be in a new year's day bowl, which would be such an incredible improvement from where they've been in years past. So, um, big picture for Missouri, things look great right now. They really do. Um, it's one of those, like, of course, you, you, if you could go in and beat Georgia, I mean, that's a program changing type of win. Um, and so, you know, it, it's encouraging that, that they were competitive um, and they've been competitive with Georgia each of the last two years. You know, it's just a matter of the the great teams find a way to win those those games, even the one when there's weird things going on. So they're, they're making strides. They really are. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. On the other side of things with the college football playoff rankings, uh, the top four, we, we, still the same. You got Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, um, which I don't have too much of an issue with, more so because Ohio State has a couple good wins. Uh, Michigan doesn't have any, but based on the way they performed last year in the playoff and the way they just housed Ohio State recently, I get it. But here's my one request. Here's the one thing that I do want to see is that when we get to Selection Sunday, well, that's no, that's basketball, whatever the, they're going to call it, when they decide the four teams that are getting in, I think whoever loses Ohio State, Michigan, needs to not be in the, in the playoff. We can't, you know, we can't keep doing this thing every year where both the teams are undefeated and they play each other. You know, and the, the winning team, of course, is going to get into the playoff and the losing team, we're just going to say, well, the rest of their season, that was good enough. They look good, blah, blah, blah. No, neither one of the teams have really played. Like, Ohio State beat Notre Dame, sure. that's They're fine. They beat Penn State. Penn State's fine. Um, but the reality is, I think we learned last year, we don't want both the teams in. They can't both be in. It needs to be the, the winner of that game gets in, the loser doesn't. Because the, the winner of the SEC is going to be in. Right now, obviously, it looks like it's going to be Georgia. Bama is still in the in the hunt. If if they win out and beat Georgia, I, I think you've got Alabama's likely going to be in. Um, and so you between those two and then Florida State, who they beat LSU week one. They haven't really beat anyone, but they've they also again eye test and they're for the most part beating up on teams and going to go on a kind of very similar to what Clemson typically did in those the years with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Florida State's almost a, a shoe in at this point if they take care of business. Okay, so that's your those are your three spots. But the reality is the fourth spot needs to go to the winner of Washington, Oregon, whoever wins that game. Because uh, those teams are on a collision course to meet in the Pac-12 championship, which you could make an argument has been the best conference in college football this year, which I feel like I just cussed when I said that. Because that just sounds so weird. And it... I've never said that before. I've never believed that, but it might be the case this year. And it is quite honestly just a gauntlet. Uh, the Pac-12 is this year. And the reality is, you know, Washington is undefeated. Oregon is undefeated or they have one loss. And so for either one of those two teams, if they are to win out and then the, whoever wins that conference championship should absolutely be in the playoff over a one loss Michigan or a one loss Ohio State. Um, and I feel pretty strongly about that. So hopefully the committee is listening to this committee. If you're listening, 
do us all a favor. Make sure the Pac-12 is represented um, because they deserve it. So far this year, they do. You know. Uh, on to college basketball here for a minute. I don't even know why I added this in. I guess I just because college basketball is now starting, you know, and I, I hate to say this, but I have no reason to believe that Kansas is not going to be the Vegas favorite all year long to be the number one overall seed and win the tournament. I mean, on paper, you look at like they added Hunter Dickinson to an already deep and experienced roster. Um, I'd, I can't really come up with any scenario in my mind other than injuries to, to see why this won't be one of those years where KU, you know, they go through conference play and they lose two or three games. They've got four total losses and, and they've already got a number one overall seed locked up. But by the time the Big 12 tournament even starts, um, to me, it feels like one of those years for Kansas. And gosh, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Because if you know anything about me, you know I don't like Kansas as a Missouri fan through and through. KU is my least favorite team of any team in any sport. You know, doesn't matter. Don't like them. But I'm objective. You guys know me. You know I give it to you straight. And the fact is, Kansas looks like the team to beat this year in college basketball. With that being said, I do expect them there. You know, like I said, they're going to be the team to beat. Um, and But I do hope I'm wrong. This is one of those I hope I look back in March and KU is they've missed the tournament. And I'm just like, man, boy, was I wrong. I don't expect that to happen, but I hope it does. So, I mean, that's where we're at with that. I'm also interested to see the response of Purdue and reigning, reigning player of the year, Zach Eady, uh, after losing to the 16 seed last year, Farley Dickinson, right? Of he's the, He was the player of the year last year, the seven-footer with very good touch, very good defender, um, obviously a great player on a really solid team, coming in at number three in preseason rankings. But they're going to have this looming over them all year long. The fact that they were one seed last year and they lost to a 16 seed. Um, so I'm interested to see the way they respond this year. Because uh, you look at the last time, the the one seed that lost, Virginia lost, uh, you know. Virginia was the number one overall seed back in, in 2018. And then the following year, they came back and won the national championship. And they had a lot of guys back when they did that, when they came back and did that. And, and Purdue does as well. They have a handful of guys of return, including, of course, the uh, reigning Naismith Player of the Year, or the Wooden uh, Naismith, the Wooden Award winner in, in Zach Eady. And so I'm interested to see if that trend continues, to see if Purdue is going to bounce back the way that Virginia did a couple of years ago. So, um, and then, of course, for the NBA, I do, did want to mention a couple things here. Before we wrap up, I uh, wanted to give a shout out to Victor Wimbayama who right now, in terms of the eye test, kind of just looks unbelievable. Uh, he, he's had a few different games this year where he's had some things where he stood out significantly, right? He had a game he scored 38. Uh, he had a game where he had five blocks. I mean, he had a game with 12 rebounds. And, and again, just the his style of play, you can tell it when, when, he, when he bulks up just a little bit, I mean, he's going to be Giannis, but seven five and a better shooter, and which should just be scary to the rest of the league, especially with Greg Popovich as your coach. <laughs> I mean, Wimbayama 
watching a little bit here in the first couple weeks of the season. He is special. And I am pumped to keep watching him and just see what he does throughout his career. I mean, he's got potential to be an all-time player just based on his size and, and skill set, you know. And he's honestly, he, from from everything I've heard in the in post-game interviews and everything, he's pretty a, he's a really smart and, and humble guy. He's only 19 years old, and he knows the pressure that's on him, and, he, and he's just really having fun. He's not, he seems to be going a game at a time. He's not really trying to worry about goat talk conversation, all-time conversation. He's just trying to go out every day and get better. And so he's a likable guy that I'm really enjoying watching so far. Um, and he's right now he's third in the NBA in blocks, um, which, by the way, Anthony Davis is first. I'm like, that's interesting. He was my defensive player of the year prediction. Is first in blocks. Interesting. But still, uh, Wimbayama is on a very high trajectory right now, and I'm pumped to see where he goes. Uh, and then... Last thing I want to mention from the NBA, the year 21 update is what we're going to start calling this. You know, LeBron, as we all know here in year 21, uh, right now he's averaging 25 points, eight rebounds, six assists on 56% shooting. So just another, just your ho-hum borderline MVP candidate type of season from the 38 year old. Um, I mean, his plus minus is pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I saw this graphic the other day. This was Sunday night that I saw this on social media. So the numbers might be a little bit off as of right now. Um, but as of Sunday night through six games, um, the Lakers with LeBron on the floor are plus 47. And with LeBron off the floor, they are minus 70. I mean, that's impossible. How does that even happen? <laughs> it, it's, it's a new year, but the same story. It's been the same story every single year of LeBron's career where he literally can't afford to leave the floor or his team falls apart. And I don't really understand. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that he makes so much money and there's minimal cap space for the rest of the team. I can't give you a good answer. You look at some of the names he's played with, it feels like it should be different, but but it's not. He quite literally can't afford to leave the floor at 38 years old. At 38 years old in year 21, when he's on the floor, they are, in terms of efficiency and points per possession, one of the best teams in the league. And when he leaves the floor, leaves the floor, they fall apart. Um, and so again, it's no different than any other year of his career. I'll never understand the narrative of how he just has so much help all the time. I mean, the, the couple of years that he's had help, and he has had other players like you know, you, you've seen him be able to leave the floor for a couple minutes without the team imploding. They've won the champions. They've won the championship. You saw it in Miami a couple times. You saw it in Cleveland. You saw it in LA the one time when Anthony Davis had his best year as a Laker. But for, for whatever reason, the the GN, the general managers that LeBron plays under, I won't even call it under, he, play, he plays alongside them because uh, he's a GM in, in his own right. But they can't figure it out. I don't, I don't understand. It's frustrating. It's too bad because it's taken away what could have been several more championships because no one knows how to build a team around him. But here we are, I guess. I guess we'll just continue to be amazed and we'll, we'll continue to watch and 
just see the which by the way he continues to go out and break the scoring record every time he plays he, he sets the scoring record you know he keeps doing that but uh i i don't know i've given up trying to you know do the mental gymnastic to try to figure out what what needs to be done to try to get him some help this point it's like you know what let the 38 year old go out and play 40 minutes a night and carry the team to a win every single night and hopefully he's got enough left in the tank during the playoffs i don't know i don't know what the answer is it's just weird it is it's just weird but anyway that's that's the update i wanted to give you on the nba and what's going on right now and uh we'll go ahead and wrap this up with the office quote of the week all right this one kind of in the realm of what's going on with lebron which is, I'm really tired, probably from seeing that turkey, which is um, a quote by Aaron Hannon, which I think is one of the more underrated quotes in the show, which I think it kind of, is one of those that kind of slips under the radar a little bit, but it's actually really funny. And obviously it kind of relates, because I think LeBron, is if he's not tired now, he's going to be um, by having to carry this team every single night at 38 years old. A month and away, a month away from being 39. So, anyway, that is going to do it for today's episode. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Um, we are just a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving, which I'm pumped about. Uh, we're also Chiefs have got to buy this week, so who knows what type of content we're gonna have next week? Maybe we'll talk big picture NFL. Maybe we'll talk about something completely different. I don't know. We'll see how I'm feeling one week from today uh, when the Chiefs haven't played for 10 days and I'm starting to lose my mind but we will cross that bridge when we get there but until that time thank you guys for tuning in as always go Chiefs